welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Shaniqua Levin. Shaniqua is an award-winning social justice leader, motivational speaker, and author. She's the founder and CEO of the Women's Diversity Network, a social movement organization practicing transformative justice processes based on group leadership where marginalized lives are centered. She is also the co-founder of the Long Island Black Alliance, whose mission is to improve the lives of the black community on Long Island. In addition, Shaniqua also founded the Long Island chapter of Mocha Moms, a support group for mothers of color, and is the former director of Every Child Matters in New York, an advocacy and electoral engagement organization on behalf of kids. As a survivor of childhood poverty, drug-addicted parents, an incarcerated father, and a teen mom, she uses her voice to help others break negative generational cycles. Hi, Shaniqua. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, so for those who don't know anything about you, could you please tell us a little bit about it, about yourself? Sure. I am blind and my two children, and I am the founder of the Women's Diversity Network, as well as Long Island Black Alliance, where we convene Long Island United to transform policing and public safety. Great. So I read that you grew up in poverty with drug-addicted parents. Is that part of the reason you're passionate about social justice issues? Yes, it is. And I actually, you know, I'm an author too. I wrote a book called Poverty's Phoenix. Hmm. And that book touches a lot on on like my experience growing up living in poverty and having parents that were addicted to drug um that my upbringing has really made me to see how children are so innocent in this system and in this experience and they need someone to be their voice so that way they can have equitable chances to actually thrive also wow that's incredible um and i love that you said that because it's so true you know so many children are not represented because they don't have the voice. So the fact that you've made that your mission is really incredible. Uh, so you're the founder and CEO of Women's Diversity Network. So yes. can, you, can you tell me the story behind this organization? And did you feel that there wasn't enough representation of women on various social issues? Sure. So the mission of the Women's Diversity Network is to connect and mobilize women of different backgrounds to create positive change through collective work and a unified sisterhood. Before becoming the founder of this, I was at an organization, which is no longer in existence, but I was the executive um, director for New York State. Mm -hmm. It was called Every Child Matters. And we did a lot of advocacy and electoral engagement when it came to children's issues. Mm So. While doing that, I just realized and how it was built that way by design, because these aren't things that you learn about in school. You learn about it through your experiences here. And if you're in these, you know, um, social justice circles that teach you this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I learned that we were still segregated and I saw it in my work. 
because I did a lot of presentations and a lot of skill building and education. And I would often see when I went into different spaces that even though social justice fields were segregated, like it would be all white people doing work with just white people. The Latina community would be doing work with just themselves. And then the black folks it would just be doing work with themselves. We weren't coming together. Mm-hmm. And here I was going to speak to lawmakers about how important these issues were. And I just kept thinking, like, wouldn't it be great if multiracial people were coming to speak about how important these issues are? Of course. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're just going to listen to you know, a black person talking about black issues, they may not hold it as high. Mm-hmm. But if you have a black person, a Latina person, a white person come and talking about the issues, then they may say, wow, this is something that all my constituents care about. Right. I mean, and most issues are universal, aren't they? I mean, ch- you know, children's rights and women's rights and, and all of these are universal, I would think. I mean, I, that's how I would be. look at it. <laughs> yeah, you would yeah. think. It should be universal. I mean, and it's universal in the fact that we should all care, right? Yes, for sure. That we should all care. We should all want equity for children and, and stuff, no matter who they were born to or where they live. Mm-hmm. That this should be a priority and concern for everyone. But, you know, there's a lot of disproportionate rates when it comes to children, you know, that are black, indigenous, and of color. Mm-hmm. Well, I no, I totally, I, I totally get that. Um, coming from Asian parents, you know, I so understand where that's coming from. Um, and do you think that it's has it gotten worse because of the pandemic? Like people, you know, in terms of the issues that you're fighting for, um, that you're not getting heard enough because I mean, the offices are closed, or is it just because no one's paying attention? I actually think the pandemic shed a light on to some of our issues and whether it's because people were forced to be home and not be in their bubble mm-hmm. and actually hear the cries of the world that you know we saw the disproportionate rate that black people were experiencing from covid mm-hmm. and had to look at some of the root causes and why things weren't you know that way yeah um, then we saw you know the police brutality that was happening around the country and I think people started to actually wake up Mm -hmm. and say you know we have to do something about this we can't just sit here and be complacent anymore no you're right and you're true that's that's so true because like you said the pandemic really made us as isolated as we were it really woke us up to what was going on around the world not just here but definitely all over um so also through WDN, World, World Women's Diversity Network, you created the Health Equity Task Force. What was the purpose of that task force? It was to decrease the maternal mortality rate on Long Island and create education to providers as well to patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really took a look and saw that the levels, again, were so disproportionate when it came to black women. Mm-hmm. You know, in America, it's a problem as a whole. We, we deal with um, being one of, having one of the highest rates when it comes to maternal mortality. 
mm. as a whole. And then when we take it down by um, population, the black community has been the highest rates. You know, although we have less people, we have the highest rates. And one of the things that, you know, causes it is racism. Mm. You know, racism and, you know, microaggressions and, and bias. Sometimes people's implicit bias, they don't even realize that they're doing what they're doing and it's causing black women to have unfavorable outcomes, you know, as well with the stress that we have that that's putting put on us, mm-hmm. you have, you know, stress from external factors. And then you have stress from, you know, your doctors not taking your complaints as seriously, feeling like you're a stronger person because of the color of your skin should be treated differently when it comes to your care, maternal care. Mm. Wow. That's really amazing that uh, that's, and you feel that it's still going on, correct? I mean, yeah, it it still is. It still is going on. You know, there hasn't been a mass campaign to help providers learn new tools to be Mm. able to combat this. And that's something that our task force really wants to work on. Um, There hasn't been something that's overly educating mothers on their rights Mm -hmm. and things that they can experience or, you know, expanding the use of doulas there for the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's, it's definitely still going on because this world sometimes doesn't think that they have bias. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I mean, what do you think, is necessary to get that, you know, to get the attention needed for that issue? I think that we need to, um, you know, create a public education plan and, and, and execute it. So that way, again, mothers are more equipped to learn how to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. and things that they can ask for, what are norms, what are standards, and to know how they should be expected to be treated. Um, we need to educate providers and hospitals more and nurses more and incorporate that into their learning on how, you know, things can be perceived as different and how they have an impact, right? Yeah. We need to give them tools and look at best practices. What practitioners are out there and have really low rates and what are they doing differently? And be able to expand on that. We need to learn from one another. And we need to create, you know, more resources so that way, People can get to their um, health care providers at a, in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. So that way there's no barriers for them to get to help, you know, receive health care. Right, right. Those are awesome ideas. And, uh, you know, do you think that um, other than your task force, are there other organizations that you're approaching to get involved with, with this task force? Sure. So we have uh, lots of different organizations that have signed up. We've been working very strongly with Birth Justice Warriors, who's been tackling this issue even before, you know, we came about. And they've been very uh, instrumental partner, as well as the Suffolk County Office of Minority Affairs here on Long Island. Mm -hmm. Uh, Minority Health, sorry, of Minority Health. Um, So they've been a very instrumental partner as well. Most recently, we worked with Suffolk County to get um, to have them establish a county level task force. Mm, And we're in the process of working with Nassau County for them to create a county level maternal mortality review board. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And hopefully um, others will join. 
That would be amazing. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, our hopes is to is to go national with our organization um, and work in different areas to really help create more awareness and just better outcomes mm-hmm. for mothers of color. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Oh, I, I wish you luck with that. I hope it works. Um, Thank you. And you also are the creator of the Long Island Black Alliance. Okay, yes. so tell me about that. Right. So the Long Island Black Alliance has a mission to improve the lives of people of color here on Long Island. Hmm. And um, one of the things that we saw was some the like we started in 2017 after the Charlottesville um, massacre. And we realized that some of our older organizations weren't taking these grassroots local actions to pull people together and to stand up for black issues. Mm. So we wanted to create a multicultural, multi-generational coalition of not coalition, sorry, um, a multi-general, gener- ah, a multi-generational and multicultural um, group of advocates that would step up for black lives and black issues, right? Mm-hmm. And we started by addressing, uh, we had a vigil, a vigil to shed light onto what happened in Charlottesville, shed light onto the illusion of white supremacy, and to unify folks. Mm. So when we we did that, we recognized that, you know, this is a need on Long Island in order to bring people together, that we should still continue to do things like this. So we filmed, um, we started a little group, and we kind of wanted to focus on rapid response and things that people could respond to and show up for black people when they needed them to. Mm-hmm. So what we did was uh, we were encountered with some policing issues. We had um, a group of young men that were um, harassed and beaten by the police. And we ended up doing some organizing around that where we had community meetings and speak outs and meetings with uh, police departments to discuss these issues. And we worked with the family mm. to get them um, some support that they needed. And um, we had a few more incidents like that, that we kind of got behind and spread light onto, which led us into 2020 when the George Floyd killing happened. Yeah. And that's when we said, okay, you know, we need to make this even larger than the things that we're doing on our own as a small group. We need to build a coalition of multiracial, multigenerational, multicultural people to come up and really think about how is policing done differently. Mm-hmm. And then the governor put out an executive order 203 to have municipalities work on reimagining what policing could look like. Okay. So we had a few town halls to discuss what the public wanted to like to look at the, for the public to look at everything that police was responsible for. The list was so long. And wow. then we're like, do we need an armed officer to deal with every single issue on this list? Wow. And that's how we then set the tone for what we were going to do when we started work pulling together different organizations and community leaders to join the coalition. And once we did that, we um, were able to pair with a, a great couple and their organization, and they um, put to help put together the framework for how the coalition now operates under a divest and 
um, transform and invest mm-hmm. when it comes to police transformation. And um, it's one, been one of its kind for, you know, Women's Diversity Network. I do this where I bring so many different organizations together to send a representative to the Women's Diversity Network so we can do collective work. Mm-hmm. And we're doing the same thing with this coalition now where so many organizations have representatives together here. And both are like the first of its kind on Long Island to really actually work together and be diverse and um, be effective. So for the policing issue, we've been working since the summer nonstop, mm-hmm. coming up with a list of um, proposals to bring to be included in the count both counties' plans mm-hmm. that they're going to present to the legislature, and then outside of that, to bring it to the public. So that way the public has a list of things that they can say, this is what we need, this is what we know, research has been put out there on what's effective and how policing can be done differently. Because policing is such an old structure, the way the model is, it comes from a slave catcher system. Mm. And we're in 2021, and we're still using the same system. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's outdated. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it's really amazing that what you've accomplished, you know, with this coalition, and hopefully it becomes a national thing, because, you know, I never even heard about this coalition until I read, I read it from your bio. And I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, you know, because of what happened with so many, um, with, with so many deaths with George Floyd, and, and, the Charlottesville incident and, uh, you know, with, um, oh my gosh, too many to name, um, you know, yeah. Brianna Taylor. I mean, there's definitely a lot of reform that has to get done, um, but you can't do it alone. And you do, right. the, having the coalition, like you said, would really be a great starting point. So that's great. I, I love that. And I think it's it's really you know, it's so necessary. Um, So also, so for you, was there an aha moment when you realized you needed to do, to start these initiatives? So I think the aha moment actually started way before I started these initiatives. Mm. I had found myself in a predominantly white mother's group. I had, was a stay at home mom for about seven years. Mm -hmm. And while being a stay-at-home mom, I just felt so isolated. And the library started this group, and my husband was like, you need to join. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You need to get out the house. Uh You need to go meet people. Because I was going to parks and doing free stuff, and it just wasn't, like, working. I don't know. Mm. Um, So I joined this group, and I loved it. Like, we were talking about experience as moms. Mm -hmm. We were getting into stuff about marriage. And I was like, like, I'm there every Mm -hmm. week. Like, this is my time. Uh I left left the kids at home and I'm like, this is, this is time that I need to be with other women in the same phase of life going Mm -hmm. through things. Um, I was the only black woman in the group. I was also the youngest mom with the oldest children. Mm. (laughs) And it was towards the, and you know, during the group, like after we would bond so much during the meetings and then towards the end of the meetings, people would separate up and like start going and having conversations among themselves. And I would never be kind of like looped into those combos. Huh. 
I was always on the outskirts. And so then I would just, you know, end up leaving, but then we'd come back to the next meeting and everything would be all good and the same patterns would happen. But I loved the group so much that when the facilitator had asked for someone to step up to help be part of the leadership and be a liaison to um, the national organization, I was all for it because mm-hmm. I wanted the group to continue to go. And, you know, it just was such like a lifesaver in that moment of life for me. Mm-hmm. So I volunteered. I kept raising my hand and she would look at me and seem like she acknowledged me. But then I would never hear from her. Then the next week would go by. She'd still be asking for people. See a list of names and it's going to reach out. But then we go to the last meeting, and she's like, okay, well, I'm still looking for someone. And I'm like, you're still looking for someone. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Every time I freaking said that, I will be the one. Like, I'll do it. So I go over to her at the last meeting, and I'm like, hey, you know, I I volunteered each week. So at this point, she kind of had, like, no choice, I guess, but to take me up because these other women weren't beating down her door to do that. (laughs) Uh Wow. Wow. It was that moment that I realized, wow, it's either because I'm young or because I'm black, you know, and I I realized that, oh, wow, I have to show up in these spaces and kind of be like the best black person I can be. So oh, oh my gosh. that way we are taken seriously and not taken for granted and are included in our part of the process and are seen as leaders, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the aha moment that, wow, Shaniqua, you're in a lot of predominantly white, you know, areas and things sometimes that my volunteerism led me to put me that way. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to create a different voice um, for, for, for my people. Mm. That was one of my aha moments. Wow. That's amazing. And, yeah. you know, to, to think that it was, you know, being involved in a group, in a mom's group, you know, where you would think that that would be, um, considering that you're all dealing with the same thing, you know, that, okay, that would be enough for you to, like, you know, okay, I want to I wanna be a part of this. I want to volunteer. And, and it's amazing that, you know, that little bit of, of, I guess just the difference, you know, this it's like become such a significant difference for people. That's wild. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's, I made sure to amazing. make that the model center. <laughs> mm, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so in light of that, you also created the Long Island chapter of Mocha Moms. I love the title. And mm-hmm. so what's Mocha Moms about? So Mocha Moms is a national organization that started in 1997. It started off as a magazine. And then people started reaching out to the founders like, we want to, you know, meet and get in person. So they had a meeting in person. And from there, it really spanned out to across the country where people were chartering new chapters. Mm. Um, When I was young and I, you know, had started with them with the mother center which was predominantly white mm-hmm. i realized that i need to find the black people like mm-hmm. <laughs> i need to, like <laughs> enough you know enough you know microaggressions you can experience in, in one time i need wow. to be around black people my kids need to be around black people so they can feel secure and validated and see that others you know look like them and have cultures like them. Mm-hmm. So um, I found the Mocha Moms chapter 
which was um, a Queens. So mm. I used to travel all the way from Huntington to Queens to go to it. It was like about an hour ride. Oh, my gosh. Um, there and back from where they were meeting. But I did it. I did it for years wow. because I knew my kids need that. I knew I needed the connection. Mm-hmm. So I, one day, you know, having conversations with other um, members, I had a, I decided to start a, a Long Island chapter. And the first the first time I tried, we didn't have enough people because mocha moms, you have to have, like, at the time, had to have a certain ratio of stay-at-home moms in order to try to a chapter. Mm. So it didn't work. So years go by, and then, you know, we're having a conversation with some moms, and they were willing to help be charter members with me. So um, I took the lead, and we were able to get a chapter on Long Island started because although there was the Queens chapter, mm-hmm. Queens is Queens. They have their own own things that should focus around Queens. And then Long Island is Long Island. We're so segregated here on Long Island that there isn't something bringing us together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people see Queens, and they're like, I'm not driving all the way to Queens. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I felt like it was really important because when you go on Long Island, sometimes you see another black person, you're like, oh, my gosh, where are you? How'd you find out about this? (laughs) That's so funny. Wow. It's it's funny, but it's also like you don't realize, you know, how isolating it can be until you realize, oh, wow. Okay, so where are they? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And then you find them. It's funny you were talking about Queens because I grew up in Queens. So I okay, I so yeah. get, you know, the drive from Long Island to, right. you know, my mom's place in Queens. So I, I totally get that. I had to laugh about that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, yeah, you know, when I started joining um, mom's group, you know, it, it was because I, I was a city kid. So for me to go to from the city to Long Island, I felt, I felt isolated. I felt like oh my gosh, what am I going to do, you know, and who, who could I be friends with, you know, right. and right. then it really, I had to find my own people, I had to find my yeah. own um, my own niche, yeah. and I did, um, but like you said, you know, it, it really had, uh, it took a lot to like get there, um, but in terms of, so you have how many kids? I have two children. You have two children. Are they old enough to know all the stuff that you're doing? And how are they with all of your advocacy work and, you know, having to find their own place in, you know, in a place like Long Island? (laughs) So what do do they think about all of this? So my son is 22 and my daughter is 17. Okay. Yeah. So they've been, you know, they've known advocacy their whole life. Okay. Got it. (laughs) They've seen their mom doing this. They've been part of it. My daughter last year created the Long Island Unity March for Juneteenth um, as a celebration. She's stepped up in leadership in many roles. So is my son. He stepped up in leadership. Yep. He's, you know, just recently graduated and got his bachelor's and is on his way off to law school this summer. Hopefully it goes through right. That's amazing. They're very vocal in their circle, Mm -hmm. you know, about injustice and about racism. Mm -hmm. And they're not one to just sit back and let something happen and them not say anything about it or do anything about it. That's awesome. And and I do feel that I think it is this generation that is so much more vocal than we were, (laughs) you know. Yes. And I love that because my daughter is also 22 and she is constantly like, you know, 
and she doesn't, you know, she not that she doesn't care, but she says, "Hey, I have a voice, and you may not like it, but this is what it is." And you know, she has been because I've always been involved in advocacy as well. She, you know, we took her to her first march when she was six years old in DC. So she's been exposed to this as well. So I, I have to, I have to laugh and love at the fact that all these kids are now making their own way. They're paving their own way. You know, which yeah. is really yeah. empowering. I love that. So that's good to yeah. hear. Um, I, you know, it's so cool that you're what, verbalizing, but awareness of what people are not aware of on Long Island, you know, and, and maybe nationally also. Um, and what I, I also think is amazing is that you, okay, so I read this, that you've been instrumental in advocating policy changes for early care and learning, raise the age, paid family leave insurance, bail reform, and these are just a few of what you've worked on. I mean, but incredible. So are there other issues that we need to address, if not just on Long Island, but nationally as well? You know, um, there's just health disparities overall, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and food insecurity. And then we also have the wealth gap. Like the fact that no matter how much education that a black person has and then if they're a black woman it's even worse Mm -hmm. you compare them to a white peer they're still not making the same amount of money yeah you know so that that is huge like what are we doing to close that um that income gap yeah yeah that's that's really uh that's really a huge issue for sure yeah i mean there's environmental injustice a lot of times environmental um, hotspots are in communities of color. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I read about that also. I mean, it's it's really um, mind-boggling, you know, when you start realizing that all of these environmental issues, you know, wh- where they start from are usually in communities, you know, where, uh, they're, um, where the residents are people of color. And yeah, you don't yeah. hear about it because it's really not, yeah. you know, they, it's really not. They um, don't care. They don't, uh, yeah, and that and they, it's not written about, so nobody really knows about it, you know, so it's not made aware. So yeah. thank you yeah. for that. I mean, yeah, and I, if you look at this, one more too, if we look at child care, yeah. like we don't have sometimes access or it's an argument between two access and quality. Like we need both. Mm-hmm. We need access to quality child care. And then our child care providers, us as parents, we don't have, we're not making enough to pay them what they truly deserve. Mm-hmm. And they deserve to be paid so much more than what they're being paid and we also struggle with just getting access to, to quality child care yeah for sure yeah. oh my gosh so uh, where, where do you um so where do you credit all your advocacy who do you credit your um, all of your work to you know this you is, know yeah my mom had me at a very young age. She had me when she was 16, mm. um, her only child, and she passed away in 2019. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Um, but one thing that she always said to me, although, like, you know, she struggled with some 
uh, things during her life uh, with poverty and addiction, um, she would always say to me that I didn't have you at 16 for nothing. You were meant to be here to do something major in this world. Wow. And she would say that to me you know, frequently mm. and got to the point to where, like, I believed her. Like, I felt like, oh, shoot, I better uh-huh. do something. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's funny. It's so funny because when you said that, I got goosebumps because I think that's so in- incredible that your mother saw that potential in you, you know. Yeah. She knew. Yeah. She knew that, you know, you were yeah. you were supposed to be doing all this work and be yes. able to help others out. That's because that's I was really shy. Cool. I was shy Were when you? I was young. I had low self-esteem when really? I was younger. I know no one ever believed <laughs> it, but I, I was. And you know, having that constant reinforcement from her, from you know, people in my community as well. Mm-hmm. And then as I, you know, got older, my husband's been extremely supportive in mm. everything that I do. Um, I've had other people in the community tap me on the shoulder to get involved in things because they saw how passionate I was about certain issues and they connected me to other opportunities for me to get involved in so that's wonderful that's really wonderful I mean you know for someone who may who who was shy when you were younger I mean you (laughs) definitely have paved your way you know which is amazing you've done so much and and, you know it'd be awesome to keep seeing you like out there um and I, I really hope you do. Um, so, okay, so what are your personal goals? And is there anything you haven't done you would like to do? Yeah, so my personal goals is to find balance with my social justice stuff and my spiritual stuff. Hmm. Right. So I believe in like meditation and affirmations and yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I believe in like your soul's evolution. And I would love to do stuff with that. It's Mm -hmm. just the social justice stuff right now. I remember sitting on my couch during the pandemic and saying, oh, my gosh, I can't do this anymore. This is boring. (laughs) (laughs) And then like two weeks later, God was like, "Woof, there you go. And I've been going nonstop ever since then. So I have to find that balance because I'm I'm more grounded as a person when I'm taking the time to do those things. I'm just not as disciplined Mm. Mm. (laughs) when it comes to that stuff. I need like accountability partners (laughs) for for that stuff. You know, it's so funny. I I so get it because I've tried and I still try to do meditation with my husband. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Right, yeah, Because, right, right. like you said, there's, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. And especially yeah. when you have a lot on your plate, you know. But, yeah. But you'll, and I do you'll get there. You know, I practice self-care. It's just not those things. Yes. Like, those things I need a little bit more of a, um, I feel like I said, an accountability partner. Yeah. Get those things done. I'm also, you know, a writer. I wrote my memoir, um, Poverty oh, Phoenix. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. But outside of that, I'm also a fiction writer. Oh. And I do. So in the future, I would like to get back to, to writing fiction. 
for sure. Okay, maybe you can burn the candle at both ends. (laughs) Do this during the day and do that at night. Just a suggestion, just a suggestion. (laughs) But then I have a husband and a kid. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they understand now. And and your kids are older enough, so (laughs) they'll probably understand. Yeah, so I see see some possible opportunities at some point. That's awesome. That's really cool. (laughs) It's amazing that you're, I mean, is, is your book out? Yeah, so it's it's I published it in 2019. Okay, um, and you can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Okay, um, it's Poverty's Phoenix is a quick read. Okay, and it really just shines a light onto what um, surviving childhood poverty looks like growing up on you know the Gold Coast of Long Island. Back wow, in the 80s. that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna have to look that up. That's so cool. So are you thinking, well, okay, so hopefully you'll get to write, you know, when you have the time, you'll get to write some more, but that would be, that would really be cool. Um, And so what are your goals for the communities that you're involved in? So uh, um, it's really coming together, like, and, and sometimes in the things that we're doing, there's so much ego involved Mm -hmm. and stuff people have you know their own agendas Mm -hmm. and if we could set those things aside and really accomplish so much Mm. yeah yeah so So more collaborations and less egos oh i love that that's really cool and where do you think you see yourself in five years in five years, I really would have hoped that I have made the Women's Diversity Network a national organization. Mm, that would be um, amazing. Yeah. And then I've been doing more like stuff like we're doing on Long Island with this police work that I will have been able to bring that to other, you know, counties as well. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. And are you yeah. thinking long term and possibly um, getting it into a national forum? Yes, yes. So that's the hopes is that, you know, we can do this on a national level um, or that the people together can create pressure that national changes are made nationally. Yeah. Um, but if that's, that's not going to happen in five years when it comes to the police stuff. That's, yeah. that's not going to be the case. But yeah. Um, yeah. at least we can make some steps and have some wins along the way, changing certain policies. And so what would you say to anyone, especially young people who would like to get involved with any of the organizations you're involved in? Oh, we have tasks for everyone. Awesome. Okay, great. <laughs> yes, we need help on so many different levels. If you want to just come give your time or provide certain skills, we can find a way for you to be involved. You can go to the website, to the Women's Diversity Network.org and um, click on Get Involved. Or you can go to www.longislandunited.org. Okay, thank you. And so, okay, so last question is, what would you tell your younger self? Mm. I would tell my younger self that it's going to be okay because I just think about the times that I sat in my room so depressed, you know? Mm. So not seeing like an end to my situations or mm-hmm. my life that were choices that I necessarily didn't make for my life, mm-hmm. you know, so I would say, you know, to give myself hope, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that, you know, things are going to work out. It's going to be okay. And then I would also, you know, have my younger self find a way to go back and um, finish college, although I had a child while I was young. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, that's really lovely. And, and thank you for spending the time with me. And I really do wish you luck with all of the work that you're doing. And I can't wait to pick up your book. And I hope that, you know, I, I am looking forward to your next book. <laughs> so and when you do, I plan on having you back. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you and have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Shaniqua Levin on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note, I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. 